Welcome back to another episode of the Additive Snack Podcast. I'm your host, Fabian Alafeld. And today, for the first time, actually, we'll dive into the fascinating interface between consumer 3D printing and industrial 3D printing. So we'll look at both sides of, of additive manufacturing with a very special guest. There is probably no better person to have on the show to talk about exactly that topic. And joining us today is Joel Telling, but better known as the 3D printing nerd. Joel, you transitioned from software development to becoming a leading voice in the 3D printing industry, more than 600,000 followers. And I think one of the, if not the only full-time influencer content creators in the industry, which I think is really impressive. And as you are today, still one of the key voices of the industry, and you're helping t people to get into additive manufacturing on a daily basis, that alone deserves a big thank you. But I also want to thank you, of course, for being on the show with us today. Joe, welcome to Additive Snack. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So actually, I want to jump right into the beautiful word of 3D printing and of additive. There's a lot of bold statements out there today. And I kind of want to have a discussion with you on those because I think You and I have a lot of similarities, but also different viewpoints on the industry. You look at it very often from a consumer perspective, and I look at it very often from an mm -hmm. industrial perspective. And I kind of want to have that discussion with you because I think it's, it's important. Great. Yeah, it's important to do that because we can call everything 3D printing 3D printing. We have to talk about the differences as well. So in, in your point of view, where is the additive industry today? Are we facing a doom Is it just evolving? What, what's your take on the whole on the whole thing? It seems like every year there's always someone or some publication or someone floats the idea, is 3D printing dead? Is added yeah. manufacturing dead? There's always someone that seems to float that annually. Sometimes it ties into perhaps a show so that discussions can be had, or sometimes it's to, you know, it's towards the end of the year. I think that where we're at in additive, I don't know, from the consumer side and the industrial side, just in general, I think additive is is on the right course. I think that what we're seeing both on the industrial side and on the consumer side is some really cool and emerging tech that's bringing the costs down, mm -hmm. but bringing the efficiency up and the functionality up. And the we're seeing a lot of people, at least... I'm seeing people that watched my show when they were in school and are now finding themselves working within the industry on the industrial and the professional side. So I don't see it as a doom and gloom. I mean, I, I consider myself to be a bit of an optimist and I'm always trying to inspire, but you know, a, a realistic look at the industry, at least from my point of view, says that we're getting good people in and we have good technology. I, I think we're in a good spot. What's your take on it? I could not agree more. I think, yeah, I've not been in the industry as long as you have. I think uh, only eight years. It's still, it's still a little bit. And yeah, every year there is somebody who thinks that the additive industry is about to end. And we've always moved forward even faster. And I think we do have to look at additive manufacturing a bit more granular. I think we have to look at different industries and we have to mm -hmm. have a discussion on How far is the adoption of additive in, in certain industries? Because some industries are way further than others for various reasons, whether if it's material availability, whether if it's data that's available on certain material performances, or whether if it's just cost, right? So the space industry is at a very different point than the automotive industry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. But some of the same factors apply. Like cost is always an issue with an additive. Yeah. There's uh, oh, what is it? There's like three switches that you can pull and only two of them. It's like cheaper, faster, better, something like that. You can have something cheaper and faster, but it's not better. You can have something better and cheaper, but it's not faster sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's always been subjected to that. Well, you know, I was at the EOS booth at Form Next, and I, I forget who I was talking to. Wonderful human. But it actually, it talked about bringing additive into an older industry. And we were talking about these little gas engine bodies that were being made. I think it was in 3D printed aluminum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, there was a giant, giant build plate of parts there that were all printed. And the idea was to bring down the cost of additive so that it matched the the, the manufacturing method that they would have done before. And part of the reason why it was being shown off at Formnext is because they had got the processes down and the materials down where they, they could actually compete at a cost basis, a cost per part basis with traditional manufacturing methods. And so I think that's key for getting a lot more qualified parts into the world from additive. Surely space travel there's a lot more qualifications that need to happen for parts that go on a spaceship than there are in a little two-stroke engine on your lawnmower or whatever. But we're, we're getting there. You know, I had an interesting conversation with someone at Formnext, and mm-hmm. we talked about the airline industry and how 3D printing can, you can create and manufacture a lot of parts that are actually qualified for the airlines. However, public perception is what's holding them back. The general public, I'm going to say, doesn't necessarily have the knowledge of what additive can bring and how it's safe, if not safer, and how it reduces parts, part counts and part cost. And and so he talked about how adoption of additive within airlines was a public perception problem and not a technical problem, which which I thought was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Yeah, that's a very interesting take. And I mean, you know, public perception obviously also then translates into how the FAA thinks about additive manufacturing and about qualifying mm-hmm. additive manufacturing parts. And there's certainly still a lot of a lot of room to grow. But I agree. And that's the interesting thing about additive manufacturing. The, the media is typically within the additive manufacturing groups. And it, we have a hard time breaking out of them and communicating to the, the, the broader world that most of, if not every rocket we're sending into space today has highly critical components on it that are additively mm-hmm. manufactured right? right but there's no humans on any of those rockets there are humans on some of these uh, rockets and devices that definitely leverage additive manufacturing for critical components right well okay so in the perception from the public a lot of the 3d printed parts within rockets like the engines you know the engines have you know the 3d printed engines and rockets and then rocket motors and you know the bodies and whatnot a lot of times what the public is shown is that they're testing these like uh yeah. who was it it was um was it veritasium Derek muller he visited the rocket company down in southern california and he, they got to see the printing of the rocket bodies and so i i thought that was interesting and obviously the next generation of rocketry is going to have more additive manufacturing than before and obviously at some point it's going to bring humans back to the moon and to mars and to venus and whatever yeah but i still think that is not something that is touted by the industry when humans are involved yeah for sure for sure and and, and 
there might be certain public relations folks that do that on purpose for various reasons at this rocket company. And I think space is, space is one of the extremes, but I think the energy industry is, is another great example of a point of no return where gas turbines by, for example, Siemens, leverage parts that are printed, they couldn't be manufactured in any other technology. That's right. The, yeah. The point I'm really trying to make is we can't say additive uh, hasn't crossed the chasm. I think in certain industries, you could probably uh, say that companies have reached a point of no return. And for them, additive is definitely across the chasm and has uh, has been widely adopted uh, mm-hmm. by, by their technology. I'm curious how you view that from a from a consumer perspective. What's the what's the adoption of of three D printing for consumers or, or private end users? How has that evolved over the past years? Well, over the so the consumer adoption of of additive is based on the RepRap project, and it it has evolved into machines that just you know they they melt polymers onto a hot build plate over time you know a glue gun with a robotic arm is is essentially the consumer side of additive i mean we yeah. i know that we've really taken the hockey stick of growth within the resin side of 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 additive on the consumers but still the adoption for the little robot that melts the plastic into a shape that has really really taken off and it's it's really seen some great advances in the last few years. Uh, there's a company right now, Bamboo Lab, who has created some of the lowest cost and highest performing machines that exist in the consumer side. Um, mm-hmm. There's also that one right there. That's the Prusa XL from Prusa 3D out of the Czech Republic. You can okay. use, it's got five different heads on it, five different extruders, and it switches between them to make a part or a model out of five different materials or five different parts. So as a consumer, I can utilize a machine like this to make a rigid part that has flexible hinges. Or with those bamboo machines, I can make a custom part that has up to 16 different colors of material in it. So on the consumer side, we're seeing this amazing growth. We're seeing this this absolutely amazing growth. And I think while we're growing on the consumer side, I think that we're still deficient in being able to translate the knowledge of what additive is on the consumer side into the professional and the industrial. Like I've been to Gerlitz, Germany with Siemens, and I've seen those gas turbines, the, the, the turbines, the gas turbines, and I've seen the parts they've made. And I've got to tour the factory floor and, and see these parts and how they make them and how they machine them and, and how they you know install them. And we talked about how what they can power. It was, it was an amazing thing, but you can't take everyone in the world who's interested in consumer side and, you know, take them on a tour through Siemens. So yeah. how do you bridge that gap? How do you, how do you explain to people that, Oh, in the energy sector, yes, additive has bridged the chasm and we are on the other side. We are now making parts with additive for this industry that could not be made any other way. And that's, that's honestly the story that I'm trying to tell in what I do, because I showcase a lot of the consumer side of things, but also like I, I interviewed, I forget his name, wonderful human at the booth at EOS at form next. And we talked about those aluminum motors and I did booth interviews at other places. And I put those on those videos on my channel. And then people who are not in the professional and not in the industrial side can see how additive is being used in other industries. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's 
it's going. I mean, it would be great if more people saw what is possible. And, you know, I can, I can only bring them so much, but I think, I think we're getting there. I think that I, I love that you said cross the chasm because there's so many stories to tell on the industrial side of companies utilizing additive for their processes where the parts that are being made cannot be made any other way. And those are the stories to tell. And I think this coming up year, my producer and I have some really good ideas on how to further tell those stories mm-hmm. and how to get the industrial side more integrated with the consumer side in a way. You know, there's yeah. there's that chasm of additive in industries, but now there's that that knowledge chasm between professional and industrial and the consumer side. And so we have some fun ideas. I don't know. Could be yeah. a good year. Yeah, I'd I'd love to to hear more about those, and obviously also support those, right? Because from from my perspective, you know, you play such a crucial role in the education of uh, of also future industrial engineers that uh, uh, that hopefully develop applications that leverage additive manufacturing. Right? They, I hope so. Well, they, I was talking to TCT Magazine at Formnext, and they mm-hmm. said I don't remember the question, but I remember I talked about additive having to overcome a generational problem. Like I think that. I think that the old guard has to age out because what you and I and others that are around our age and working in the industry, we, we were aware of traditional manufacturing and then 3D printing, additive manufacturing came along and then we were like, oh, now we need to design for additive. And I think at some point there's a generational switch and it's no longer additive as well as traditional and it's not designed for additive. I think at some point we are just the design. The design inherently is for additive because because additive manufacturing is just a standard manufacturing technology. It's no longer an addition to. And I think I think once we get to that point, I think that there's a generational switch and a massive perception switch. And I think I think that's when we start to see a little bit of a hockey stick in our in our graphs. Yeah. I'm always a little bit skeptical of a, of a hockey stick just because it's, it's a, we're, we're talking about, gloom, huh? <laughs> no, no, because we're, it is a capital equipment industry and it's very different to scale exponentially. If you have a, a SaaS business model, right. Where, um, I can say sure. I can scale very quickly. Additive what most people and companies underestimate, I think is repeatability is uh, building, equipment that uh, prints on location A the exact same part and specifications on then on location B. And it's very difficult to scale that to scale that up. But I do agree that the adoption can get into a hockey stick once we we switch over a whole generation that grows up in a digital world uh, where additive manufacturing might just be a very common uh, manufacturing technology that they think about uh, from the beginning. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, there are, for the past couple of years, there have been kids who who have been born who will never know that there were physical buttons on a telephone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because all, all they will know is that swipe to unlock or you look at your phone and it unlocks or you draw a pattern and it unlocks and they will, they will, they'll be like, oh, like you used to have to push buttons on like, it, like we're, 
we, we get to that point of, of uh, like you've mentioned, crossing the chasm or the point of no return. But we've, we have moved technology to a point where now kids born today, uh, there's, a, there's a certain line of, of information they don't have because it's now considered old. Like, mm-hmm. It's crazy to think about. And so the, that, that hockey stick, I know in a, in, a, in a SaaS business model, having to scale at a, on the business side of a corporation, that's, re- that's a really difficult thing to do. But when, when public adoption does that and, and the ge- more of the general public knowing about the benefits of what additive provides, now all of the sudden you on the, the, the business, the SaaS model doesn't get a hockey stick, but it, it starts to hit a growth. You, and you get a very defined good growth because many more of the public are not interested in what's happening here. Yeah. And you do have uh, a background in, in software development. Right. Um, and I think and I think that that shift is actually very interesting. Um, but be, before I, I ask you a very um, a question that I think is, is very fun to talk about, how did Joel Telling, the software engineer, become... The 3d printing nerd what was that journey i've been a i've been a giant nerd all my life and <laughs> uh, i like tech i like nerdy things um i you know from back in the day I, I i i've built my computers from a from a young age and i i utilized software to make them do what i wanted them to do and part of being a nerd that likes technology means i also like camera equipment And so I acquired that because I wanted to shoot videos with my friends. Mm-hmm. And um, over the years, I worked and I had my own startup company. I worked at HP and Microsoft and Nuance Communications, who is the original developer of the language model for Siri. Interesting. So my last job then was at Adobe. I worked there for three and a half years on the act- on the After Effects team and uh, as, a, as a quality engineer in engineering. So I get to develop the scripts that, automate the testing of the GPU versus varying effects to, to find out whether or not they run fast enough on the GPU. So super nerdy, right? So then 3D printing came along and I was always interested in it, but it just, it appealed to that, that nerdy side, right? I, here I am controlling a robot with, with a, with a glue gun at the end of it and it'll spit it out and then cool it into a shape that I can hold in my hand I can make things on the computer appear in real life. And it was just that, of course, that technology was fascinating to me. And so uh, while I was a software developer, it turns out at Adobe, uh, I had my first 3D printer and I played with it and stuff. And mm-hmm. I just, I was really excited to show people what I learned. I figured people could learn along with me. And so I had a bunch of video equipment and microphones and I, I knew how to hit record and I knew how to edit video. And I have a very highly technical background in quality engineering, so quality control. So being able to reproduce steps of, of something and being able to properly communicate each part of the way um, was just a part of my, my job function. And so I made videos and I talked about what I would do and I would lead people through how to design something or how I tested something, or I just, I just kind of brought joy. I was like, I love this. Mm-hmm. I love this. You might as well. So here it is. Take a look at it. So that, that's kind of how it all started out. So I utilized a software 
background, just the, the ability to kind of, to kind of poke and prod things in a specific way to get certain outcomes. Uh, so with, with any sort of technological device, whatever you're testing, it just happens to be now I'm testing 3d printers. Uh, yeah. so being able to do that, but also being able to put together a proper audio visual presentation in the form of a YouTube video, put those two together and, and you get me the 3d printing nerd. There he is. All right. <laughs> now, now to my actual question, which is when we develop applications in additive manufacturing, I think it's very interesting to lend ourselves some tools out of the software development industry uh, to, to, to shorten the development cycles. I think in software, it's, it's, it's super common. I, I write some code, then I run the code, and I see if it works or not. If it doesn't work, <laughs> I, I look for the, for, the, for the root cause. If it sure. works, I move on, right? And I, and I add to it. Now, an additive, I can do the same thing, right? I can design a part, I can print it overnight, assess it the next day, did it build, did it not build, if it built, uh, do we see any, any challenges with it and tweak my design or my process uh, as we mm -hmm. go? Is that, is that something where innately you, you kind of approached additive manufacturing in a very similar process as you did in software development? Well, as far as developing applications or processes within the additive manufacturing industry, it's 100% the same. So you're just you're following a process where you're like you're, you're in code, you're coding up something and then you run it and you get a result. And then does the result do what you need it to do? Yes or no. You know, it's a flow chart, but in additive, you're, you're coding up something just happens to be, could be a three-dimensional model, could be a machine movement sequence. It could be anything within that. And then running it, it's, it's now, whereas with software, Typically, you're having to test a purely digital process. Mm -hmm. and it could mm -hmm. be on a device, but it's a digital process on the device. But now what you're doing is you're testing a digital process that may influence a physical thing. And so we, we have that in software just with, you know, embedded systems and control systems and, and all that. But it, that lends itself directly to what added manufacturing is. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if the next generation of application engineers within additive manufacturing have a software engineering background. Like it makes yeah. sense. It absolutely yeah. makes sense. You could have an additive manufacturing course within a software engineering college class easily, absolutely easily because the same processes apply. Yeah. And as SaaS companies and tech companies become more efficient because of uh, artificial intelligence and just the, the increased efficiency of software engineers. Mm -hmm. uh, we may even welcome uh, all of you software engineers yeah, uh, right to now. the additive manufacturing industry. Yeah, because we definitely need uh, we need talent, and we need folks who uh, who can uh, think a bit differently than uh, how we've thought in additive manufacturing uh, for a long time. Well, it could be, but like. It it make the more I talk about it, the more it makes sense that software engineering works within the additive manufacturing uh, areas, and we yeah. should explore that. <laughs> we should, we should. Let's make it a bit more tangible. I think you know a lot of companies that are exploring additive manufacturing for 
for various production applications, they oftentimes struggle with the first steps. Right? They struggle with what is a the right technology? What is what is a, a true business case for for additive manufacturing? That alone is quite complex, and it and it can get quite complex, especially when you talk about spare parts, mm-hmm. high performance applications, and so on and so forth. And when you and I talked in the past, I think it's 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 advisable to encourage folks to also look into a consumer uh, 3D printer mm-hmm. uh, to get your feet wet in the uh, in, in that technology to truly understand the process. There's obviously a big difference between a laser powder bed fusion or a multi-jet fusion process versus a uh, FDM printer, but you still <laughs> yes. are printing on a layer-by-layer basis. Mm-hmm. You still, for some technologies, need support structures. What is your advice to people who think, yeah, you know, I'm now tasked to implement additive manufacturing into uh, my organization and I will run all these business cases, but I also very quickly want to understand the technology better on a deeper level. How should they approach it with an easily accessible technology like consumer 3D printing? Well, I mean, that's super broad, right? That how can someone implement additive into a company with, I think that we should break that down a little bit into its component parts. So I think first, I think consumer-based 3D printing machines, they cost, uh, in the grand scheme of industrial development, they cost nothing, like nothing. You can, a few hundred dollars gets you a machine that can perform really well and the materials that that machine can use. If you Mm -hmm. have no experience with the additive manufacturing process, uh, obviously a few hundred dollars investment for you to tinker with something works. If all you know, if all you know is the professional side, like I've, I've talked to a number of engineers and salespeople at Formnext and Rapid who are, you know, hey, what do you use at home? Oh, I don't 3D print at home. No, I, you know, I go use the, the, the powder bed at work if I want to print anything. I'm like, what's going on here? I think that it behooves everybody within the additive manufacturing industry to have a basic knowledge of what is happening on the consumer side, because most of the time, those people on the consumer side are going to grow up and possibly uh, find positions within the professional and the industrial side. So any way that you can understand what they're going through and possibly augment their experience to make it more beneficial or to make the knowledge transfer easier is going to be beneficial for the future. I remember at Rapid 2018, I went to the GE booth mm-hmm. and I was going to talk. There was a supercar there and it had these 3D printed rims on it and they looked fantastic. And I wanted to talk to someone there about it on camera. And so I did. They found someone for me and he was a, a, a typical analyst or, or you know, he, he wasn't excited to talk to me. Here I am in my hoodie and my camera guy, and we're just going around talking to people, really excited to share the passion for additive. And he wasn't warm at first. But as we started talking, we warmed up a little bit. We had some laughs. It turned out to be a fantastic conversation. That was part of a YouTube video that has, I think, one and a half million views on it. It was really popular with everybody. And I remember that was the first day of the show. And by the time the last day of the show came up, I was walking around and this guy from GE came running up to me. And he said, I've been looking for you all over. Our talk was so amazing. 
and I felt inspired. So I went to the Creality booth and they sold me one of the machines from their booth and I'm going to take it home and I'm going to learn it. And that was, that blew my mind because that's exactly what I would have hoped (laughs) would have happened. Like he found that the conversation with me was so inspiring that he went to a booth at this trade show and convinced this company to sell him one of the machines, one of the very low cost machines from their booth so he could take it home and play with it. Yeah, that's awesome. And now six years later, so, yeah. so now uh, we're, we're friends on LinkedIn. Sometimes yeah. I see the shows like it. It's it's really it's really exciting. And he's he's not the only person that's done this because I've like I said, I've gone to these shows and I'll have people in, you know, in suits and ties or or or, or you know, dressed to the nines with a really nice skirt and a jacket come up and say, hey, Joel, I used to watch your your show when I was in school. And now look at me. Look where I'm working. Come see. Come show me. So not only not only did the stuff that I make inspire them to a point where they could take their knowledge to the next level and work on the industrial professional side. But in seeing me, it brought joy to their face because they were excited to tell me about it. How cool is that? Really, really cool. And like I said in the beginning, that's why I think it's so important what you do because you inspire people to really get into the technology from an all-encompassing perspective, right? And you do the same thing to me, right? I have two walls over. There is uh, the the largest industrial equipment uh, in, in additive, uh, you know, I could print if I wanted to uh, a combustion chamber now, but I don't have a consumer 3d printer at home and i never have so if i were to get one myself which one would you recommend to someone like me well knowing you you have some technical ability you're you're a friend you're a friend of technology i would say yeah yeah. um a lot of times what people do is they try to figure out well here's how much space i have to dedicate to the machine and Mm -hmm. here are the things that i want to try and make And so what machines do that within my budget is kind of what we do. So right now you have a number of machines that are just a few hundred dollars, but fit the bill for having a lot of future technology, such as automatic bed leveling, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to probe the bed so that you don't have to turn screws on the bed to kind of level it and the ability to print faster using a specific piece of software and uh, the ability to print hotter. And so like nylons and polycarbonates are now possible on the consumer side, much easier. But one of the companies I talked about before, Bamboo Lab, on the consumer side, they have come out with a few recent machines this year, or last year now, happy 2024, last year, that really really took the market. And uh, a lot of people have found success with these because they are super low cost, they mm-hmm. polish them incredibly well. Like the first run and the user experience is paramount in these things. And they made it really easy to be able to print with multicolored filament. And you're, we're talking like three to $400. <laughs> wow. Okay. And which, which materials do you recommend for, for folks just getting into technology? So just getting into it, the, the easiest material to print is called PLA, polylactic acid. And it's, it melts between 190 and 210C really easily. The bed itself, a PEI bed or 
a glass bed or uh, a bed with additives or glue stick or whatever will hold it. And you only have to Mm -hmm. heat the bed to like 60 C to to be able to hold it. It's not bad. Uh, It's one of the easiest and most forgiving filaments to be able to print. It's not hygroscopic. So you're not going to have to worry about humidity too much. Like you don't, People that live in Florida do have to sometimes dry all of their filaments just because it's really humid down there. But Mm -hmm. I'm I'm here Mm -hmm. in Seattle. Relative humidity is relatively low. I can leave filaments out for years and not not have an issue. But PLA filament, that's the easiest one for people to get started with. Okay. Okay. Yep. Which which Bamboo Lab printer is, uh, I'm guessing they have different models. Which one do you recommend? Um, Well, so on the consumer side, you have their A1 series. So the A1 and the A1 mini, they have a bed that moves on the Y axis, and then you have a head that moves on X axis, and then they bring the head up on Z or Z as it's building something. Mm-hmm. And the, the A1, A1 mini, those are the ones they released last year that really kind of took the world by storm and they've, they've sold lots of them. And then before those, they had their X1 series. Now these machines utilized a different motion system and so the head moves in Y and the head moves in X, but the bed is what drops down. So you don't have to worry about a bed moving. Mm-hmm. And these machines are also fully enclosed. So you don't have to worry about drafts because some materials like ABS are really, uh, if a draft comes in, they can delaminate or they can curl or separate from the bed. And that's not what you want. You want to keep the heat around it. And so those machines work well for that. But, and those are going to be over a thousand dollars. Okay. Okay. But still, but still, these are machines that are, that have a 10 inch by 10 inch by 10 inch build volume. That's 256 by 256 by 256 millimeters. Mm -hmm. And these Mm -hmm. machines can print polycarbonate. These machines can print nylon. Like these are engineering materials and they can do it. They they just don't do it easily, but they do it fast too. These machines print really fast. And so I think that to start out, you could spend a few hundred dollars, get yourself one of their A1 machines, whether it's the A1 or the A1 mini, depending on the size of the space you have for a 3d printer. Then you get a couple rolls of filament and you just have some fun printing. That sounds awesome. What project do people, or do you recommend to start out with? And with that, what are some fun projects that you've seen that were really inspiring to you? Well, I think to get started, what really helps is to look around your house or your apartment or your school or your workshop or whatever, and look for something custom or think of something that you can make that might not exist otherwise, or, or something that you would have to go to the store to get, but you can make it at home. I remember um, I made a YouTube short about this. I needed a funnel. I was using a resin machine and I had to put the resin back into the container. And I, I had a strainer and a filter but to pour the resin back in, but I, I needed a funnel to be able to do it. And it was like 1130 at night. And I'm like, no stores open. And so what I was able to do is design and print a filter so that it only, it only took a few hours. And then what I was able to do is take care of business with the resin. I used the filter, put the, or I used the, the funnel. Uh, I used the funnel, put the filter in the funnel and then drained the resin back into the bottle. And so, uh, that was a good first project to start. Uh, one of the things that I utilized 3d printing for at the very beginning was what we call practical printing, right? Practical uses of it. And we had a refrigerator. It was a two door one. 
And these two door ones, the, the left door always has a flap that comes out so that this other door closes against it. And it rides this little track up above. As the flap goes, it kind of rides a track to be able to flip out. And uh, when the kids were young, they had slammed the door accidentally and broke off part of the track. And so what I was able to do is take that part out and I put it down. It was missing some parts, but I figured out how to draw it, how to sketch it out. And then I started taking measurements. And then I took that into CAD. I used Fusion 360. Mm -hmm. And I recreated the part from what I thought it was supposed to look like. And I printed it out and I put it up there and I tested it out. And I was like, okay, I took it down and then I changed a little bit. I put it back up and the door, it worked. It absolutely worked. And so then I printed a final part in glass filled nylon because that is never going to break. <laughs> but that was one of the cool projects that I did. I found a need within my space that could utilize 3D printing because I could now make a part that doesn't exist anymore. The, the refrigerator's way out of warranty and they don't sell that, that part for it. But I yep. could make it myself yep. and so I made it. As far as initial projects to try out, a lot of times on these machines, they come with example models on their onboard memory or their USB stick or SD card or whatever they're using. And those are great projects to start out with because they're meant to showcase the features of the machine mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, then they mm -hmm. can give you ideas. So a lot of print in place mechanisms, right? Things that can be made via added manufacturing that can't be made other ways. You can print things that interface with each other as the layers go up. And now there are print in place mechanisms that can move and that, living that, hinges and projects to do. Um, a lot of times on onboard memory, you'll have whistles uh, that you can print in place. You just print a whistle, takes 30 minutes, and then you got a whistle. Sometimes what they do is they will have models on the memory for these consumer machines that you can print that are then tools to help you utilize the machine. Interesting. Okay. It's kind of fun. Okay. Yeah. There is there are so many, there are hundreds of thousands of of free models out there on various model repositories that you can search. You can just go to, for example, printables, Thingiverse, or Maker World, or Cults 3D. I mean, all of these places. And just if you have an idea for something like, oh, I want to, um, I need a bracket in my closet for a broom. Oh, here's some things that people have designed already that might fit the bill. And then you can go through and find the one you want and be like, oh, this could work. And then you print it out and you put it in your closet and you screw it in place. And you put your broom. And you're like, hey, look at that. You solved the problem. Yeah. I love that approach. Why? Because it also translates so well to industrial 3D printing, right? Really what you're talking about is, A, you're talking about the supply chain uh, mm -hmm. implications of additive manufacturing. I don't have <laughs> yeah. a funnel. I can't get it. There's no supplier available. So I'm going to print it. Yeah, right. absolutely. That's, that's the whole supply chain idea of additive manufacturing. That's why we're talking, or that's why the, the Navy is looking into additive manufacturing because they don't need a funnel, but they need a casting uh, application, and the supplier doesn't exist anymore. The casting house. Well, I mean, we uh, could just call every, everything is needed. They just they need funnels at sea. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then the other perspective is the performance improvement, right? Where we talk about customization or just mm -hmm. ap applications and parts that would be very difficult to com to manufacture conventionally, either from a design perspective, like those living hinges you were talking about, or mm -hmm. a custom low volume part that is better than the uh, conventional application, but I couldn't justify making a tool just for a one-off application. Right. So that translates really well 
into the industrial space as well. Absolutely. Joel, thank you for your wisdom today. I think <laughs> it's very important that we bring this consumer discussion into the industrial space because of all of those reasons, getting people into the industry, uh, getting them to think additively and also open up their eyes on the the industrial, but also consumer uh, implications that we're still starting to see uh, uh, in the in the in the industry of manufacturing. Yes, mm -hmm. we have seen some great adoption in certain industries, but we're still at the very beginning in uh, in most of them. Is there any final advice you want to give to to somebody out there who is now uh, starting out in, in in additive manufacturing? Sure, this is great. So, uh, if I could offer any advice, it would be to find others within the 3D printing space to meet up with them. On the industrial side, we have Rapid, we have TCT, we have Formnext, we have AMUG. We have, we have these really great networking events so people can always come back and reminisce and talk about the industry and see where it's going forward and compare notes and do all this stuff. On the consumer side, we have RepRap festivals. We have one on the East Coast, We have one in the Midwest. We have one in the UK. We have uh, one in Denver coming up in April, actually. And it's the same thing, but for the consumer side, people who use consumer-based 3D printing to do all sorts of insane projects, lots of DIY stuff, and people visit because they're, they're just excited for this industry and they want to learn more about it. So if there's any advice I could offer to anyone out there who's wanting to get started in additive manufacturing, Find people who are also interested in it at these events, whether they're consumer or industrial, go visit and have some wonderful conversations. Couldn't agree more. I could talk about additive uh, for hours and especially <laughs> at these conferences that you mentioned, we talk about it for hours and days. Well, you know, uh, here's a challenge to you. Yeah. Here's a challenge to you. So you being someone who we just talked about consumer-based 3D printing, how you don't have one at home, what should I get? What can I print with? What material? Find yourself one of these consumer festivals to go to. They're usually free to get in or maybe like 10 bucks. You mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. way less expensive than Formnext and Rapid. And then uh, go look around and talk to people. And and what's great is when you, when you go to these, people want to know your story. Like, hey, I work for EOS. We do these things. And oh, I never get to see this. Show me this. And then they'll tell you about their thing. And I, I bet... I bet additive as a whole would benefit if EOS and companies like EOS sent representatives to these consumer shows to talk mm -hmm. to people and to learn more. And I think if we had more of these consumer-based people able to go to the industrial shows to see how far additive has gone, I think that will foster all sorts of adoption. Okay. Challenge accepted. Yes. I'll also definitely look into getting my own consumer printer. Sweet. Six years ago, you inspired somebody from uh, GE. Now you inspired me. There we go. I can't wait. I can't. You're going to have to keep me posted on what you do. We'll definitely uh, do that. Let's also do a, a follow up episode on whatever uh, I produce or uh, okay. where I fail. And uh, yeah, that also gives me the opportunity to then learn the, uh, the intricacies of uh, consumer consumer printing when did i go cool. to these shows to I talk like to this. those guys yeah. yeah yeah this is awesome we'll keep this collaboration afloat between the 3d printing nerd and and additive snack i think together we can hopefully do our part in growing the industry and educating people 
uh, on the it. technology. I love everything about that. Well then, Joel, thanks again so much for, for being on the show. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. That was amazing. I had a really great time. Same here. And for our listeners out there, make sure to also subscribe to Joel's YouTube channel, The 3D Printing Nerd. You go to youtube.com slash 3D Printing Nerd. Take you right there. Perfect. As I said, more than 600,000 followers for a reason. He puts out really, really, really interesting <laughs> content. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast where uh, we feature these bright minds in the industry. And yeah, this has been Out of Snack. I'm Fabian Alefeld. And I see you guys next week.